Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. So the presence of sin in the world has made it very challenging for us to love each other well. And a case in point is the fact that we often do not handle conflict with each other well. See, conflict by itself is is not a bad thing. I mean, having a difference of opinion is not a bad thing. Uh, In fact, I had a a seminary professor that said, if two people agree on everything, one of them is not necessary. So I I have to keep that in mind, my love, whenever you differ with me, okay, that's actually a a good thing. So research was done on the, the conflict patterns in marriages. And this actually applies to every relationship. So if you're not married, you've experienced this as well with somebody. In, in any kind of conflict, you, you typically have one person who fights. Well, you have one of these patterns. You have maybe both people fight. Okay, that's where things escalate. That's where shouting gets louder, things get thrown. I mean, that's fight, fight. In another pattern, you have one person fighting and the other person fleeing. And so they're shutting down, withdrawing, running away. Some of you are like processing this right now. Yeah, this is where I see this. And then in the third pattern, you have both people fleeing, both people withdrawing. That one looks better than the other ones. That one can look like there's not even an argument or a difference going on. But that's actually not, that doesn't mean there's peace. I mean, that's oftentimes peace faking, or it's just running away from your problem. And so really what needs to happen is those differences need to come together, talk it out. But anyway, that's, that's not what we're talking about this morning. The point is we don't handle conflict well. We don't always handle our relationships with other people well. We, it's hard for us to love each other well. And by default, we are really not that loving. But the good news is that there is, we know someone who does love well by default. It is, it is foundational to God's character and being to love perfectly. And so you and I who do not love well by default can learn how to love better from our wonderful counselor. Do you remember last month we, we talked about Jesus coming as the wonderful counselor? He is always, he always has office hours. He is always available. He always knows the best thing to do. So we can learn from him how to love better, which is going to benefit us in every single one of our relationships. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. If you would turn with me in 1 John to chapter 4. That's where we're going to be. 1 John 4, verse 11, we started this series a couple of weeks ago saying that love is foundational to God's essence. The essence of who he is, is love. God is not wrath with a little bit of love sprinkled in. He is love, which sometimes expresses itself through wrath against that which is not loving. 
And so God is love. And then last week we talked about the fact that God loves us. God's love for us. And hopefully, I hope you're marinating in these truths because they can just completely transform who we are. Today we're going to build on the idea of God's love for us. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Okay, let's, let's pause there. If God so loved us. Let's, let's pause for a moment and talk about a little bit of a, a Bible study point here. So, and it's something you can do in your own Bible study. It's a good thing to ask your Bible questions. So we should ask the question here, if God so loved us, well, how did God love us? It's a good thing to ask your Bible questions because then you look for the answers. Many times the Bible answers our questions, and this question gets answered in the verse before that, verse 10, which we looked at last week. In this is love, not that we have loved God, it's not, it doesn't start with us, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the satisfaction for our sins. We talked about this last week. If you didn't get to watch that message online, you may want to go back. I'm just going to kind of recap here briefly. God has this incredible tension to resolve where he loves us because he is love. He can't do anything other than love, but he is also holy. God is perfectly holy and we are not. And so for a God who is holy to associate with people who are not holy, how does he resolve that? How does he look the other way when we fail to obey him? Well, God resolved this tension perfectly in the cross. Because God upheld his holiness by continuing to require perfection from us. Only Jesus fulfilled that for us. And now he credits his perfection to our account. And God did that because he loves us. He sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. God perfectly resolved that in the cross. And so what we said last week is that the cross is the tangible and unconquerable evidence that God loves us. If you ever doubt God's love for you, look, look at the cross. Because that demonstrates his sacrifice, how, the length to which he was willing to go for, for you. And so if you're here this morning... It, where, where we get hung up on this is that we as human beings, we have a hard time admitting our unholiness part of this equation. And we think none of this is necessary because we don't think we've been that bad. And so if you're at a point this morning where you've not come to the point of recognizing your, un, uh, your unholiness, if you don't know where you are unholy, Ask somebody in your life, because I'm sure they can point it out to you. And then once you know that you are unholy, you don't have to be afraid to come to him because he loves you. And he has provided a way to close that gap and to bring you into his presence. And I hope you don't get out of this room without embracing that love and calling out to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I, I want your forgiveness. I want your holiness to cover over my unholiness. And I want your love in my life. That decision, that prayer, unlocks everything else that we're talking about when we're talking about love. 
loving, feeling God's love, experiencing love for one another. That's the foundation of all of it. We don't have that in place. We won't experience any of the rest of it. This, by the way, is the way to improve your self-image. If you struggle, if you beat yourself up, the solution to self-image problems is not self-esteem. You can't conjure something out of yourself that's not there. The solution to your self-image problem is God-esteem, how God sees you. And he sees you as cleansed and perfect and holy because Christ's perfection has been credited to you because God loves you. But we're not talking about any of that today. That's just a recap. God doesn't want his love for us to stop with us. He, he, it's never just about me. The, the Greek word agape is about others-centered love. It's about meeting the needs of others. It's love for the good of others. So John says in verse 11, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, we, we, don't, we are not to become collection pools for God's love. We're to be conduits of his love. Collection pools become cesspools. There needs to be movement. God, we receive God's love, we share it with others. That's what John is telling us here. Love starts as a verb with God. It needs to stay a verb with us. Don't let it become a noun. It needs to be love in action. What that means is that you can't come out of your quiet room having your rich devotional time with God and then come out and scream at your kids. Okay, you can do that because we're imperfect, but what that means is you need to go back in and have some more rich devotion time with God because if you are receiving his love, it should be transforming the way you interact with the people around you. And so our point here this morning is that we learn love from God and then we practice in the lab of community. We learn love from God, and then we practice in the lab of community. Let's go back in your mind for a moment to high school science class. Okay, I know this is traumatic for, for some of you, but if you remember high school science class, there's two parts to that class. There's a lecture, and there's a lab. So in the lecture, we learn the theory. We, we sit, we listen to the ideas that are being presented about this area of science. That's the, that's the theory part. And, and just by the way, just so you know, the, this, this is the way God teaches us. He teaches us theory first, and then we put it into practice. And God, by the way, is not your boring science teacher that puts you to sleep. Okay, he's the science teacher. He's the teacher. Do you remember the teacher that cared about you personally? Wanted to make sure you get it? That, that's the kind of teacher that God is. And so God teaches us the theory in group setting and he's also available in office hours for remedial help for those of us who, who need a little extra. But so that's the theory part. That's the lecture part. But then there's a lab part. And the lab is where you go in and you get out your, your beakers. Do you remember this? Uh, and you get out your Bunsen burner, you know, and you fire, fire stuff up. And you get your hands on and do this stuff to experience how it works. Now, the thing about the lab is that this is where it can sometimes get messy because sometimes things blow up in the lab. Sometimes things spill. 
Sometimes we burn things. Sometimes there are clouds of smoke. I mean, there's messiness in the lab, but that's where we learn. And so God, God wants to demonstrate love for us and, and teach us the theory, but then he wants us to practice it in the lab of community. That's how we learn. And so John says, John tells us, that as we learn to love one another, two very powerful things happen. He talks about them in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. The first thing I want to highlight here is that his love is perfected in us. What that means is that as we love someone on this horizontal plane, we actually are able to experience love from the vertical plane more, more clearly, more experientially. Remember, we, we talked about this from in the very first message. That it's all intertwined. Our, our vertical love from God, our love for God, our love for one another. So John has it all intertwined. It's really hard to separate it out. And so we, when you serve someone else, when you encourage someone else, another person, when you tangibly, deliberately show love for another person, person. There, there's something going on there in a mystical sense that you're also experiencing the love of God. You're able to be filled up more with the love of God, experience that. It is perfected in us, is what John tells us. If I can be scholarly for, for just a moment, some would say nerdy. I want to give you a quote here, and we'll put it on the screen. It's pretty dense, from a, a very fat book called The Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. I just want you to know sometimes I look at these kind of books. But this is, this is kind of dense, but it gets really good by the end. Um, John's agape, that's the Greek word for love, is quite explicitly condescending love. That doesn't mean that God is, is looking down his nose at us. It's actually explained in the next phrase. It's rather a heavenly reality which in some sense descends into this world. So God's love starts in heaven. It descends, it condescends into this world that Jesus was willing to come and put on flesh. This heavenly reality achieves revelation and victory in moral action. The world of light and life, which John talks about light and life all the time through his writings, is expressed in this world in the form of love. Hence, John not only can but must emphasize the active character of agape in the life of Christ and that of Christians. So when we put love in action, that's when God's love is perfected in us. The second thing that John tells us that happens when we love one another, is that people see God through our love. See, verse 12 again. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, though, if we're active in loving one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So we can't see God with our human eyes but our visible, in-action love for one another points to an invisible God who put that love in our hearts. See how this works? So people can't see God with their human eyes. They see God's love working its way out in us. Warren Wiersbe says it this way. God reveals himself through the lives of his children. People cannot see God, but they can see us. 
Let me just pause here for a moment and just comment on what's going on in our world right now, in our country right now. This is why it is so tragic to see believers, followers of Christ, tearing each other apart on social media and in other settings. It's, it's not just a problem because it hurts the people that are being lashed out at. It's a problem because the watching world is looking at it from the outside, and they're saying they're, they're not drawn to Christ through that. They're mocking us. And so I just need to say to you, if you are taking your beefs or your gripes or your complaints about another fellow believer if you're taking that public and posting it on social media, you have no business talking about the, the, the problems that you have with another person in public. You need to be talking about those things with somebody in private and working through those difficulties. And if you have or are or are planning to post things on social media that tear down another fellow believer or really any, anybody else, then I have two words for you. Stop it. We don't need any more of that. And we don't need to be modeling that for the world. What we need to be doing is loving each other well in such a way that the world would want to know what we have. Not that they would mock us and say, I don't need that. I, I have that from my own friends. John is so concerned about us not loving each other well that he calls us to question our very relationship with God if we're not doing it well. Let's go back to the verses that we started this series with in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because, what? God is love. How can we claim to be following a God of love and not be living that out in the way we treat one another? We're going to talk much more about that in the final message in the series in, in two weeks. But today, we need to learn love from God and then practice in the lab of community. Make no mistake, the lab portion is not optional. I was someone, maybe you're like me in high school, like I really liked the lecture part because I kind of live in the world of ideas and thoughts and how things could work and theory and idealism. Um, I don't like going in the lab because I get my hands dirty and things spill and it never works out the way it's supposed to work and all that kind of stuff. But, so if you're like me, that the lab is not optional. John says in verse 11, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, in English, that sounds like it could be just like a, a suggestion. We really ought to love. You should really love each other. That's not the way it's, it's communicated in, in the Greek. The, the Greek word actually is the idea of a debt that we owe. So we should read this as, if God so loved us, we must love one another. We are obligated to love one another. And if it's not clear from verse 11, then John makes it clear a few verses later in verse 20. 
this commandment we have from him, from Jesus, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's stated positively. He also states it negatively in the verse right before that. If anyone says, verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Again, intertwined. They're all intertwined. John is not sugarcoating anything. I think it's interesting when when we read the Gospel of John and compare it to the other Gospels. Sometimes, I mean, John talks a lot about love. And he describes himself as, I mean, he's the disciple Jesus loved. And sometimes I've kind of viewed John thought, eh, you know, he's kind of a little bit soft. He's talking about love all the time. I mean, he is not being soft here. I mean, he is in our grill and saying, you must love one another. You need to get into the lab and put this into practice. And so before we end this morning, we need to ask our Bible a clarifying question. Who is one another? If he says, we must love one another, who's one another? Well, the answer to that question is there are three groups of people that we must love. The first is the family of God, and then our neighbors, and then our enemies. The first is the family of God, which John talks about uh, more, than, more than anything. First John 3, 16 and 17 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to, there it is again, we must lay down our lives for the brothers and the sisters, for the family of God. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? if we have material needs and don't meet the needs of others. We we already heard from Joan about a way that we can meet needs in the lives of others. And so the food drive, which when you bring food back next week, some of that food is going to go to members of the family of God. Some of the people who receive the benefit of that, they will be people who are fellow believers in Christ like you and me. Not all of them are, though. Some of them are, at this point, unbelievers, the the food pantries are open to anyone who has a need. But here's here's a really cool thing that that Joan didn't say. So I'm going to one-up her like a little bit because she loves to do that to me. So uh, the three pantries that we are giving to, two of the three pantries that we're giving to are at churches. So Calvary Baptist Church in Bristol, Church of Living Hope in Langhorn. We're partnering with them. They have pantries, and we're helping to put food on those shelves. Here's what will happen. There will be people in need who come to those churches and have their needs met in the name of Jesus. And then our prayer should be, pray this as you're shopping in the grocery store, as you're bringing your bag in, pray that those people who come to get their needs met would say, I want to know more about this Jesus. If, these, if it moves these people to meet my need, I want to know more about this Jesus. And, and they go to those churches and they learn about Jesus. And this is the way we love other fellow believers is we're, we're helping them to carry out this ministry. Another place in the family of God that, you, that we can practice in the lab of loving one another is in our groups. So this coming here on Sunday morning, this is the lecture part. I mean, this is the lecture part this morning. I mean, you guys come, you, you listen, you, we learn the theory, we learn what it's all about. But in the lab one of the most important labs we have is the groups. 
Like you, you get into a group where you're close enough with people, half a dozen people, maybe a dozen people, that you're living life with them and you have opportunities to love in action. And let me just tell you that the lab is sometimes messy. Groups are sometimes messy, and that's where we run into conflict that we have to learn how to work out, but it's so worth it because this is how we learn love for one another. This is how the love of God is perfected in us. And so if you're not in a group yet, if you've been thinking about that, or if you just want to explore what kind of groups we have and just plant the seed and start mulling that over, after this service... We'll have some yellow shirts out in the hallway out there who you can go to, and they'll show you all the groups that we have available. They'll sign you up if you're ready to do that. We have a bunch of groups that are open on an ongoing basis, ready for you to plug into. So the first thing John uh, wants us to love is the, the family of God. The first place to practice loving one another is the family of God. Second place is our neighbors. Jesus said the second greatest commandment is to, what, love your neighbor as yourself. And then someone asked him the question, who's my neighbor? And do you remember the answer that he gave? He he told a story. He told the story of the Good Samaritan, someone who is very different than most of the people that were listening to Jesus at at that moment. And so he said, loving your neighbor includes going cross-culturally, cross-socioeconomically. It crosses all the boundaries. It's much broader than the family of God. It includes everybody. Loving our neighbor. We'll have an opportunity in a few weeks to love our neighbors as we participate, as we do every January, in supporting Choice One ministry, crisis pregnancy ministries. Many of those young ladies who find themselves in a crisis pregnancy are different than we are. Not not in every case. Some, some, Some of you very much relate to that. But for many of us, that's a very different kind of situation. But it's an opportunity for us to love someone who's different because we want to see those precious little lives come to term and come into this world and be taken care of. And we have an opportunity to help that happen as well. There's a third group, and this is the hardest, your enemies. We are to love our enemies. Jesus is very clear about this. He said, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies And pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. What is true about a son looks like his father. We as God's children should look like our heavenly father. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. We have such an opportunity right now in the world with so much division, when somebody shows hatred towards us, if we can return love, that is radical for them. And just an example of that just stands out in my mind is something that happened back in 2006, not too far from us, and where, where some people really got this right, and that is an Amish school shooting in Quarryville, Pennsylvania. Ten schoolgirls shot on an October morning, and then the shooter turned the gun on himself. And what's extraordinary, unfortunately, that event is not extraordinary these days. Here's what's extraordinary about the, the event, is what, how the Amish community responded. 
And I read this. This is from a, a tourist website for Lancaster County that was describing this situation. Here's how they characterized it. In the midst of their grief over this shocking loss, the Amish community didn't cast blame. They didn't point fingers. They didn't hold a press conference with attorneys at their sides. Instead, they reached out with grace and compassion toward the killer's family. The afternoon of the shooting, an Amish grandfather of one of the girls who was killed expressed forgiveness toward the killer. And that same day, Amish neighbors visited the killer's family to comfort them in their sorrow and pain. Now, I got to tell you, I got some theological issues with the Amish that we can talk about on, on another day. But in this situation, they got it right. And they modeled for us how we can overcome evil with good and how love is greater than fear. How do we learn love like that? Well, we learn it from a God who makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, who sends rain on the just and the unjust. We learn it from Jesus, who hung on a cross and said, Father, forgive them. We learn love from God, and then we practice in the lab of community. So we, we mentioned a couple of practical ways that we can love people in the weeks coming up, food drive, uh, choice one. Let me give you one uh, assignment that is more personal, more difficult than those. And that is, I want you to, to think of someone that God has placed in your life who is difficult to love. Someone's coming to your mind right now, and they fall into one of those categories. They, they might be a, a part of the family of God. They might be your neighbor. They might be your literal neighbor. They might be your enemy. Who is someone that God has allowed in your life that is difficult for you to love? Here's the prayer that I want to ask you to join me in praying about that, that person. Father, teach me to love fill in the blank so that you can perfect your love in me. Father, would you teach me to love this person that is difficult for me to love so that I can experience your love in a way that I've never experienced it before, so that you can perfect your love in me. Father, would you model, model that love for me? Show me how it's done in the lecture, in the theory, and then give me the courage to put on the lab coat and go in and fire up that Bunsen burner. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible love for us. It is incredible because it's so hard to imagine how a perfect, holy God could, could find a way to look past our sin-riddled lives. And yet you did. You, you achieved that in the cross of Christ. And we're so great. We will be eternally grateful as we sing your praises. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. 
And Lord, as we receive that love, may we not be collection pools of that love, but may we be conduits where it's then directed to the people around us, even the people who are difficult for us to love. Lord, that, that person who's difficult for us to love, we can't love them naturally, but that's where we need your supernatural empowerment. Thank you that you give it to us. You, you make it available to us. We pray that we'd experience it in increasing measure so that we might show you to the world. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.